Welcome to HJ Talks About Social Housing, a dedicated podcast series from our social housing team at Hugh James. In this podcast, we talk about the latest sector developments and topical issues to help provide some practical guidance on all aspects affecting housing associations. We are lawyers, so we will touch on the legal standpoints surrounding the topics, but don't worry, we'll keep the legal ease to a minimum. Welcome to today's Hugh James podcast, where we'll be discussing Japanese knotweed and the rising claims against property owners. My name's Rob Phillips. Uh, I'm head of property litigation here at Hugh James, and I'm joined by my colleague, Rebecca Rees. My name's Rebecca Rees. I'm a senior associate in the property litigation and housing management teams. Now, Becky, you've seen a marked increase uh, in cases over recent months for damages linked to Japanese knotweed growth, haven't you? Yeah, so we've had a trickle of cases over the last two or three years since the court decision, which we're going to look at in a moment. But there's certainly been an increase in the last few months. Um, It's difficult to say exactly what that's down to. It's possibly due to a greater awareness generally of what Japanese knotweed is and that there is an ability to pursue a claim if a landowner isn't dealing with it properly. Um, It's also possibly because I think there are some companies out there actively looking for claims to pursue. But it, it is a real problem, isn't it? So it's been identified, for example, as a biohazard. It's considered to be the UK's most aggressive, destructive and invasive plant. Um, soil contaminated with Japanese knotweed is treated as controlled waste and it could be fined or, or even imprisoned in the worst case scenario for allowing such an invasive plant to spread. Um, you have to remove contaminated soil under licence. And then on top of all of that, mortgage lenders often won't lend where a property has Japanese knotweed unless you've put in place an insurance-backed treatment regime. So it is a real problem, isn't it? Yes, it's certainly perceived to be a significant problem and there's no doubt that um, people are rightly concerned about the prospect of finding it on their land and if they find it, it it's a worry. It is very difficult to get rid of. Um, it requires very careful treatment and doing what you'd do with any other weed, so digging it up, strimming it or cutting it, actually helps it to spread. So it's something where you'd normally need a specialist contractor to, to deal with it. Um, but also I think there is a little bit of um, hyperbole here and certainly the RICS are quite measured in their guidance to surveyors on it. So in their 2012 guidance, for example, um, they acknowledge that it's caused problems in the residential market because of concerns about the damaging effects of the plant. But they note that the concerns are often based on misunderstanding and a bit of overreaction. Um, so the RICS have five categories of risk when surveying a property for a mortgage or for other finance, but they will recommend a specialist Japanese knotweed survey if there is um, Japanese knotweed within seven metres of habitable space, conservatory or garage, whether or not it's causing damage. Um, so that's whether it's within seven metres on the, the, on the, the buyer's own property or on the, the neighbouring property. Um, and so I think it's in those circumstances that it might impact on an ability to raise for finance and decisions to purchase. Now, the principles that apply in these cases, they were considered in a, in a conjoined case of Mr Williams and Mr Wastel as the claimants and Network Rail. Uh, that was a case about two bungalows in Mysteg, which both shared a boundary with Network Rail land. Uh, Japanese knotweed was growing on the Network Rail land and had been present there for more than 50 years. The roots, um, or to give them their proper technical term, the rhizomes, were growing underground from the network rail land into the gardens of Mr Williams and Mr Waistall. Um, 
and there was evidence that those rhizomes were actually underneath, certainly underneath Mr. Wastel's house, um, and the, the recorder in the case that that's the judge found as a question of fact um, that they would also have extended under Mr. Williams's property. So encroachments in that case, they weren't trivial um, and they were found to have uh, a, a, an effect on the marketability of the properties. Now, the, uh, the, the two claimants there issued proceedings and what they were seeking was a requirement that Network Rail treated the Japanese knotweed on its land uh, and also they were seeking damages. And you're going to have a look at the first instance decision, Becky, aren't you? Yes, so when this got to the county court, the court was presented with a really interesting question because, of course, the bungalows were not being damaged by the knotweed and the case wasn't even being put on the basis that there was a risk of damage. The case was put on the basis there was effectively a reputational risk because there was Japanese knotweed there. And it's quite useful at this point to look at the principles in tree root damage claims because you would have thought they weren't dissimilar. But in the tree root damage claims, it's quite clear that there's a liability only if there's actual damage to the property or a, or a clear risk of imminent damage and not only that there has to have been a foreseeable risk of that damage so the encroachment of tree roots by themselves doesn't give a right to sue and there's no strict liability for all damage which is caused um, there's also a line of cases which relate to circumstances where an owner has a duty and nuisance to deal with a naturally occurring um, naturally occurring damage or risk on their land. And they say that an owner of land has a measured duty of care to do what is reasonable to prevent or minimise risk to neighbouring property. Um, so on that principle, for example, the owner of a house which was at the top of another railway embankment was liable when a tree fell onto the railway line causing a crash and some very significant financial losses because um, what the court said was the tree should have been inspected that was part of the owner's measured duty of care and had it been inspected the possibility of it falling would have been identified and dealt with so at first instance the court had to take those principles and see how they apply to Japanese knotweed where there was no actual damage um, and what's quite important to understand here is that Network Rail were aware of it and had treated it and the, the Japanese knotweed had actually been there, um, the evidence said, for over 50 years. But what Network Rail had done is treated it in order to maintain the visibility on the railway line. They hadn't treated it with a view to protecting Mr Williams and Mr Waystill's properties. Um, the evidence also showed that they'd delayed spraying and otherwise treating for some years after they became aware of the issues affecting the neighbours. So in other words, they were very well aware that Japanese knotweed was going into the two properties and that wasn't foremost in their mind when they were trying to deal with it. So what the court said was that there was no encroachment, that they followed the tree root line of cases, but said that the mere presence of Japanese knotweed on a neighbouring property had the potential to interfere with an owner's amenity value of his property. So the diminution in value of itself was an interference with the, the amenity of the property and it was actionable. So the court awarded damages for treatment, diminution in value and for other things as well. That first instance decision really felt like quite a, a departure, certainly to, to me and I think to, to a number of other lawyers. So we had the tree root cases and they go back quite a number of years, in particular back in 2001. So you have the Delaware Mansions case around tree root damage. And that was the one that looked at these duties owed between neighbours with the court saying yeah, there's a duty for neighbours to take reasonable steps to prevent harm. And the duty is to do what's reasonable in all the circumstances to prevent or, or minimise the risk where, 
first of all, you've got the, the owner of the tree knowing about the encroachment of the branches or the roots or ought to have been aware of, of that encroachment. And then, secondly, there was a reasonably foreseeable risk of damage to that neighbour's property um, or, or the enjoyment of that neighbour's property because of this encroachment. But on, on this first instance decision, it was the idea of damage to the enjoyment of the property that was really being picked up, wasn't it? Um, and, and importantly, I think, without the requirement that there was encroachment of roots. Yeah, exactly. So um, whereas we'd been used to the, the principle, which was quite clear, there had to be some actual physical damage or imminent physical damage, a risk of imminent physical damage for there to be a claim. Um, so this notion that um, the loss of amenity or loss of enjoyment was enough is was quite new. Um, and so that includes diminution in value because the claimants can't dispose of their property at what they say is a, a full value. But of course, county court decision wasn't the end of the story. Uh, Williamson Wastel went on an appeal to the Court of Appeal. Um, and the, although the outcome was upheld, i.e. Network Rail was still um, found to owe a liability, the reasoning of that decision was different, wasn't it, Becky? Yeah, absolutely. So the Court of Appeal... Um, recognising that the county court decision took the law of nuisance into new areas, still said that Network Rail were responsible, but did so on a different basis. So in a nutshell, what they said was, well, there are Japanese knotweed rhizomes within both Williams and Wastel's land. That's enough. There is encroachment. There doesn't need to be actual property damage. The existence of the rhizomes in the land meant there was an encroachment and there was an effect on the value of the property. Um, so this takes us back to the more classic example of interference with um, the, the amenity of the land and sort of goes back to the position with the tree roots. So there has to be an encroachment of roots or rhizomes. That encroachment has to then cause damage by adversely impacting the value of the land. And so what's key in this case is that Network Rail did have actual knowledge of the presence of the knotweed on its land um, and was aware of the risk of damage and loss of immunity to Mr Williams and Mr Wastel's properties and it failed to do what was reasonably expected of it to prevent that interference with their enjoyment of the properties. So um, the court held the presence of the knotweed beneath the properties clearly affected their ability to fully use and enjoy, for example, by developing them. And I think that point, for example, by developing it, is is really important on the, on that case um, because actually Mr. Williams and Mr. Wastel had, according to the case, no intention of developing their property, um, and there was certainly nothing in the case that I could see that they planned to develop it. So that really leaves landowners who've got Japanese knotweed growing on their land in the position of having to ensure that those rhizomes don't encroach on neighbouring properties uh, and there's going to be a potential cause of action if they do. I suppose the good news is that the stigma caused by Japanese knotweed is diminishing with some new treatment options that have come forward in recent years. Yes, absolutely. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there is evidence that whilst um, Japanese knotweed is incredibly difficult to treat, it doesn't actually have the ability to damage buildings, which um, which people first thought. So there have been some study papers done by both Swansea and Leeds universities, which are sort of suggesting that the initial responses to Japanese knotweed are slightly hysterical and led by anecdote rather than science. And what they're sort of suggesting is that it's not going to cause the house to fall down. It's not. Going 
going to cause the sort of extensive physical damage that, that was first thought. And it can be treated, it absolutely is treatable, it just needs to be treated properly and it can't be got rid of quickly. Um, and the Swansea study looks quite carefully at what methods of treatment work and don't work and it's quite critical in that respect that landowners make sure they go to a reputable um contractor to, to make sure that the proper methods of treatment are used um, but certainly the Leeds University study said that the ability it had to cause significant structural damage is quite doubtful but we're still in the situation where mortgage companies are declining mortgage funding and the courts recognise there are potential claims and so there, there is still at the moment a massive stigma um, to having Japanese nutweed on your property. So in the meantime it really is important um, to have a good inspection and treatment regime in place and to deal swiftly with any claims that are brought against you by neighbouring property owners. I think the key to being able to defend the claim as a landowner um, is looking at whether or not you've done what's reasonably expected of you as a landowner. So when, as soon as you're aware um, you need to have acted, you need to have treated the Japanese knotweed with a view to stopping it spreading uh, or, or curbing its spread onto other properties. Absolutely. It's still not a strict liability and the key to the network rail judgment is that network rail hadn't treated the knotweed over the course of a very long period despite the fact that they were aware it was there. And it's probably also worth mentioning at this point that there's been other successful cases, one in the Truro County Court in a case called Smith and Lyons where again the claim was successful but that was because the defendant had ignored repeated requests to do something about it. So the message that I think everybody needs to understand is that liability follows from being aware and not doing what you reasonably should do to protect your neighbour's property. But if a landowner has done what is reasonable in terms of treatment as soon as a landowner is aware of it and can demonstrate that, then any claims are eminently defendable. But it's all down to uh, proper reaction and decent records. Um, it strikes me too, it's worth mentioning, that landowners should also look to, to try and find out where the Japanese knotweed came from, um, looking at where it originally emanated from, because, for two reasons. First of all, when it comes to treating it effectively, you obviously need to make sure that it, it's treated everywhere, otherwise it's only going to come back. Um, but also, of course, you, you can be threatened with a claim from another landowner, but perhaps the Japanese knotweed came onto your land from somebody else. And so um, there are all sorts of issues there which need to be looked at. Um, but it can be eradicated with proper treatment on all affected properties and if properly eradicated then any claims ought to be eliminated or minimised too. So really it's fair to say isn't it that the lessons are a ensure relevant staff are able to recognise it and that they're aware of the potential liability that it causes and b uh, if you become aware of it then take action um, so don't fall into the, the perhaps we might call it the network rail trap um, from that um, Williamson Waste or the Network Rail uh, case that we've just had a look at. Um, and perhaps lastly, if you do receive the threat of a claim, you do need to make sure that you investigate it uh, and deal with it, respond to it promptly. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think um, it is all doom and gloom. I think um, cases can be defended, but it is all in making sure that you've got your house in order in those sort of respects. Well, thanks, Becky, for joining me on uh, this podcast. Um, I look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thank you. If you would like to take part in the conversation, suggest a topic, or need some further guidance for your organisation, please get in touch at socialhousing at hjtalks.co.uk. For more information on Hugh James and the services we offer, visit hughjames.com 
Well, check us out on Twitter at PropertyHJ.